I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the show where we talk about the greatest team in the land, Watford FC. Watford were on FA Cup duty yesterday as they narrowly lost to a Manchester United side in what will go down as probably one of the least interesting spectacles across the third round that weekend. But to try and dissect the good and bad for you, I'm joined by show regulars Jordan Weimer and Tom Bodell. First things, guys, uh, how did Bonner set up for this one and uh, was it any different to the championship? Uh, Jordan? Well, I think we saw the same, very similar system in the 4-4-2 and maybe a little bit more defensive from the off, but we had a, little, a few changes in, uh, in, in terms of personnel, so we saw a little bit of a, of a difference. I think, obviously, in this game, we started pretty slowly. I don't think it has really anything too much to do with how we set up tactically. Um, but yeah, we saw a lot of similarities and I think the main difference really was the, the change in personnel. Tom, do you think that Cisco uh, saw this one as maybe a free hit? Because obviously, you know, the FA Cup is not what is going to be judged on this season. His priority is to get Watford promoted. Everyone knows that. So he was kind of given the opportunity to just experiment a little bit. Yeah, I think so. It's probably a game that neither club really wanted. I suspect he would have quite happily done with another week to train, you know, try and get his message through to the players without playing, potentially picking up. Injuries, as we saw with Nathaniel Chalabar and, and from an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer point of view, I suspect after their midweek uh, defeat, they could have either they could have probably done with a, a weekend off as well. Um, I thought the, the fact that we didn't really change the team setup shape too much was quite interesting. You know, we've probably gone there with more defensive setups when we were, you know, on, on paper equals um, as Premier League teams, but. In the end, it was uh, it was probably reflective of the fact that there weren't league points uh, on the table, the, the way that we went about the game and the, the kind of performance overall. There were some big changes, though, in terms of the squad, and uh, we'll start off with some of those. Daniel Backman in goal. Um, I think he was probably a bit of a positive on, on the night. He had quite a good game. Uh, he, he, he seems more of a sweeper-keeper than Foster, and, and to me, I think he offers something a bit different, and, and certainly, I don't think he was at fault for the goal either. Jordan, what, what's your opinion on that? No, I think it was just a really, I mean, it's probably the, the worst place for for the board to be going towards, especially with the bounce of the floor. We didn't have a player on the post, so obviously it makes it extremely difficult for a goalkeeper to get there. Um, I, I think he's I think he's a really good goalkeeper, actually. He's, as you say, he's a bit more bit more of that kind of sweeper role. He's a little bit more proactive off his line, perhaps, at times. But I think he's just, he plays with a level of aggression that, that Ben Foster, Foster doesn't play with. And that's not a criticism against uh, Ben, it's just more of a contrast in styles, I think. 
he, he offers you something in those sorts of games too. He's very, very competent at coming for crosses and, and getting there for corners. And he's just a, yeah, just a pretty positive, aggressive goalkeeper. I quite like him actually. Do you think he's being lined up for for the for the role next season or or the season after? Or, or I think it's a tough it's a tough one with with this situation with the goalkeepers because Ben Foster is kind of he's obviously an extremely good goalkeeper. He's a very good goalkeeper, and he's, there's a lot of things to like about him from a club perspective. You're pretty familiar with him as a personality, and you know you're comfortable with his levels of performance. So you don't really want to move away from him in a sense, but obviously you know you're on you're on borrowed time because he's at that stage of his career where it could literally be one injury and he decides you know it's not it's not worth continuing. So it's a difficult situation. We're really trying to cover both bases, I think. But I, I think Backman's a, a good option for that. Um, if Foster was to step down. I do think that he is capable of um, of taking that number one shirt and being a starter. Tom, how did you rate Backman? Yeah, I was very impressed and I was pleased for him as much as anything because it was about this time a year ago where he got his kind of fairly long-awaited debut having done well on loan at Kilmarnock, um, came in for that, that pair of Tranmere games, those, those two Tranmere games, and obviously dropped a clangor in the first game, I think, wasn't it, on as we yeah. blew a 3-0 lead and, and obviously forced the replay where we sent a very junior team. And that, I think, kind of probably tarred his his reputation before time with Watford supporters. Um, but I think it was always apparent within the club that they thought highly of him when Julio Gomez retired at the end of the season, gone, and we didn't sign anyone. And the fact that he is still the one here and it's, it's Pontus Dahlberg who's been loaned out, I suspect, means that yeah, they are probably grooming Backman or giving him every opportunity to be the number one at some point. What I would say is Ben Foster did sign a new two-year contract, I think, during the, the summer. So, yeah. I, you know, it might not be an immediate thing, but I suspect they're, you know, giving him every opportunity. And, and who knows, you know, they might very well decide that, uh, it, that Pontus Dahlberg is the one that they got higher hopes for in the future. But for the time being, I'd say that, yeah, Backman's in kind of pole position. I think credit to the way we've set up the squad as well. If you have a goalkeeper at Ben Foster's age, that sort of profile of player, then having someone that's there to test him and, and be a competent backup and possibly be a starter, you're, kind of, you're still at the stage you're kind of trying to establish what exactly Backman is and, and what his level exactly is. So I don't think it's a bad thing to have him. And then, of course, having Dolberg out on loan, he's a younger player that you've got that that room to kind of see where he goes to. So they're not really in, a, in too bad of a situation for 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 that position. Dep- really, whatever happens, I think they're in quite a, a decent a decent place. Yeah, I think, funnily enough, one of the best things that could have happened to Backman is Watford being relegated um, because I feel like mm. he will be given more of an opportunity if... Uh, there are injuries to Foster, whereas perhaps in the Premier League, they would have immediately looked to try and uh, bring in somebody with more experience. And, and again, if, if Watford don't get promoted this season, I could see Backman featuring in the Championship where perhaps I couldn't have seen him in the Premier League. It's really interesting though when you, when you look at goalkeepers and try to establish their level, it's, there's a much harder, it's a much harder thing to gauge when, you, when you're trying to work out where they should be playing because so much of their game is based on on skills that translate across every single league and every single level of football. So I think a lot of it comes down to their use of the ball and I think I think Backman also is, is pretty competent on the ball. I think he looks a bit more comfortable with both feet when it comes to clearing and I think that's something that's, that's maybe let Foster down a little bit not just when he's trying to overplay a little bit too, but I, I think sometimes 
he doesn't look uh, comfortable on his on his right foot, and it's something that maybe Backman is a little bit ahead on. But yeah, it's, it's definitely becoming a closer competition as time goes on. Yeah, great anticipation as well. He he, he came up really quickly to 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 prevent quite a few uh, attacks from United, and and I think that's the sort of thing that perhaps we wouldn't have seen from Foster. So it, it's nice that we've got um, a goalkeeper who offers that. That's different quality, and, and and it's something that's becoming a lot more important in the modern game. That um, that Foster, you know, rightly is is he's old and he's experienced, and and you know he doesn't really need to to play in that style. But um, players like Backman coming through probably do need to make their game a little bit more like that because that's the way that football is at the minute. Yeah, and I think also he doesn't he doesn't lack anything. He's not just a footballer. He he, he is a he's a very good goalkeeper. I think as we touched on earlier, that aggression to come out. I think there's one shot in particular that Juan Mata had uh, on in in the box where he comes st- he comes storming out and he's very aggressive, really proactive. He just makes that space so much smaller and he he covered the ground really well and he got there quickly and it made a great save. And I'm not saying Foster wouldn't have made that save, but there are plenty of goalkeepers that would have been a bit more cautious and stuck to their line and probably made it a much bigger target for Mata. He never kind of lacked for confidence in him, whereas you might have in the past or the younger keeper, but he, you know, he made two or three smart stops, as, as Jordan says, the matter one. There was one from Dan James earlier on, Rashford one uh, towards the end as well, wasn't there? And you just, you just felt he was in command of the situation. It was, it was a pretty good audition, I think. He just plays like he's quite quite an assured player, doesn't he? He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't kind of go within himself in, in big in big games. I think all the ones we've seen him in, I think that's just he just it gives you a bit of air of confidence to the to that back line for me. Well, that was a good performance from Daniel Backman then, and uh, another good performance I thought from the man making his debut, Philip Zinkenegel. Uh he looks good, doesn't he, guys? He's got a good delivery from free kicks as well. Tom, what did you see from the new man? Yeah, I was impressed. I thought it was a really tough game to come into, obviously, uh, a way to a, a Premier League side, you know, bang in form and you've not played over here before and, and you know, certainly not played at that kind of level. Uh, and then uh, there was a lot of kind of complaints on Twitter that he was starting on the left. He's obviously played a lot of his football uh, in recent times um, on the right-hand side. So I think that kind of got a few people's backs up, but with the, you know, the option, the paucity of options we had due to injury and what have you, you know, there wasn't a lot more we could do. But I thought he was encouraging. He, you know, didn't get a, to see an awful lot of the ball early on. There was one moment where he sort of hooked a ball that looked like it was going to go out of play out on the touchline and sort of dropped a shoulder and shimmied between a couple of players and then immediately gave the ball away. But the moments leading up to that were good. But I thought he, like Watford, grew into the game and he didn't. And I think this might be indicative of, and Jordan be able to comment on this a lot better, but I wonder if this is indicative of the fact he was on the left rather than the right. He seemed to be drifting infield a lot rather than kind of steaming down the touchline and trying to get crosses in. It almost felt to, felt to um, Joao Pedro to go kind of down the left more often than Zinconogel. But yeah, I thought he looked good. A couple, um, couple of decent deliveries as well from the right-hand side or at least, you know, deliveries that created half chances for us. I thought it was fairly encouraging. You would reasonably assume against uh, championship defenders and perhaps playing on his favourite side, we've, we've got a bit of a player there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, th- I think Tom's right. Playing on the left-hand side makes it a lot more difficult for him. He's, he's more comfortable on the right. And he, I think you see a lot more of that production come from the right. I know he's played more of his games there, but even when you look at his, his numbers from his time time in, uh, in Norway, you see that he's, he's definitely someone that wants to be playing on that right-hand side. I understand why you maybe want to 
see where else you can move him and try and compensate so you can keep Sar in that position. But I, I think as the season goes on, I think it, we really should be looking at how we can get him playing there. Because uh, as Tom was saying, he, he was positive yesterday and he's looking to get on the ball. He's making things happen. I think there's a few times as well when, when the players get a little bit more congested around the box. He's making some positive runs and he had a few good like one-touch passes and, and keeping things nice and, and tight and intricate. And I, I think that would be really important for us because that's something we've lacked a little bit especially when it's come to um, it's come to breaking teams down so I think he'll be a nice asset for that but yeah I think predominantly the, the idea should be looking at how we can get him playing on that right hand side You looked at a lot of his numbers um, before he signed for the club did um, those numbers marry up to, to how he played uh, against Manchester United was it pretty much what you expected? Well I think I, I don't think so in the sense that he was played out of position I, I think he if you want to get the best out of Zinconegal it's, it, it's clear that it's to play him on the right Um I think his expected assist per 90 was double um, double on the right-hand side to what it is in, in any other position that he's played through his career. Um, and similar for his expected goals. And they're just two metrics to look at, but obviously they're, you know, the baseline you're kind of trying to look at when you're looking at a winger that you want to be productive. So the numbers didn't quite match up yesterday as such, but he's not playing in the same position. He, he's a, he was a foc- focal point at his previous club where he's he's that attacking outlet. And yesterday he was you know kind of coming into a different position, trying to find his feet a little bit. And it is a very is a very difficult circumstance to make your debut. But I think considering that he did pretty well, and I think you could see in the, in the flashes that we saw that he's he's definitely a, a good player. Um, and he's one that I think we should be looking to to focus a little bit more of attack through. Um, and at the at the way as the way things are, I probably be looking at um at moving Saar before I'll be looking at moving Zinkenegel good stuff he's got a good delivery on him as well from, from set pieces it, it just it felt like when he struck the ball things could happen yeah he he does yeah he, he has he's got he's got a good delivery and you know it's not just from set pieces he's, he's great great cross for the ball he times his runs really well he's, he's quite a dynamic player I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to, the, to this league but I think he's a. I think he's definitely ready for that that step up in his career. And I mean, we talked about previously the podcast after he signed. His his production is you know second to none. So I think if you can replicate at least even half of that, you're going to be seeing you know a really impactful player in the league. Good stuff. Well, one massive positive from that game as well was uh, Will Hughes getting out there and getting a full game under his belt, and uh, he looked good. I th- you know, he looked like um, you know maybe a little bit off off the pace, but he um. He, he he seemed like he, he he's ready and he's he's back to be uh, in contention again. And um, Tom, what did you think of his performance against Man United? Yeah, I thought he was pretty neat and tidy. It was sort of like he'd never been away in in a sense. I, I don't know if his best position or the best use of him is in a two like that because I tend to th- I don't tend to think of him as someone that almost if if Nathaniel Shalabar in that t- midfield two is defined as the the ball-winning midfielder. I, I guess. I guess he. You know. He's a, he's a good passer. He is a good user of the ball. But I don't think of him as being an overly creative player. But I thought. You know. It, it's probably quite a harsh test, isn't it? Harsh litmus test the way to Manchester United. He was. He was neat and tidy. He kept the ball uh, well. He created a couple of openings for other people. There was the free kick that he put in. Wasn't there for the Adam Cena chance? It was. Um, it was good. The main thing is he's come through. Uh, 90 plus minutes unscathed seemingly and obviously touched on earlier with Chalabar going off with a hamstring problem late on that is something we you know we desperately need to uh, address so having him hopefully come through it okay is, is got to be a good thing 
Yeah, Jordan, what did you think of Hughes? Yeah, I thought he, as, as Tom was saying, I think he did well considering he wasn't, you know, he wasn't outstanding, but he, he kept possession well. He moved the ball nicely. He looked like he was covering the ground well. He looked fit. So I think it was really just a, a reintroduction of him into the team. And the fact that he, he played, played got the minutes he got is positive. Um, I think, as, as you're saying there as well, Tom, in terms of the midfield too, it's maybe not his best position, but he's he's someone that's, he's well-rounded enough that he can play in, the, in that role. Um, I think we were quite lucky with having Kapu and Decore where they were able to kind of play at a high level in that position whereas a lot of time when you've got a, a midfield two it's kind of finding two centre midfielders that are well rounded enough they're going to cover pretty much every base they're going to be able to be good off the ball, be good defensively, but also when they have possession, able to look forward and not really be too expansive, but just, you know, that sort of player that can keep things ticking over and still be able to look forward. I think it becomes harder when you do have someone that's quite one, relatively one-dimensional like Chalaba next to you you kind of have a little bit more pressure to to do the other things at, at a higher level so maybe if we saw someone next to him that was a, another you know well-rounded midfielder we might see a little bit of a better performance um, but I think he can play in a multiple in a multitude of positions so I think he's definitely important to come back and he gives us that flexibility in terms of system and changing mid-game and yeah it's, it's, it's a big positive for him to get the 90 minutes. It was also quite nice to see uh, a few youth players feature and, and we mentioned that Dan Phillips came on late on to replace Chalabar and we also saw uh, a bit from Joseph Hungbo as well and Hungbo had a bit more time to impress us, he was on a bit longer and he, he certainly showed that he has some real potential and, and potentially could feature more in the championship this season and or maybe get himself a loan away to to get some more experience uh, in League One or League Two. Yeah, I think I think it was you know great experience for him to come on and he did well he got a shot away and you know he could have passed the Jal Pedro but I don't blame him at all for shooting um, he looked positive and I, I think for me personally I'd like to see him I'd like to see him loaned out um, I, I kind of always feel that way when it comes to under 23 players coming up if you can get them alone then you should be loaning them especially if it's a, a professional standard the more time they're playing the better um, there's something to be said for them being around the first team squad but for me get them playing football as early as possible so I think if you really do value any of the uh, any of the academy products coming through then you've got to you've got to actually get them out and, and get them playing football so that would be what I'd like to see in this window How did you rate Hungbo uh, against United Tom? Yeah, I was really impressed with him. I've, I've not seen him before, I don't think at all, unless he came off the bench against um, against Tranmere last year. Interesting, you know, kind of quite a fearless display, I thought, you know, given the circumstances, he was evidently quite happy to just get his head down and, and run at people. Um, the chance he had kind of drifting in off the right and getting a shot away was, you know, kind of belied his age and relative experience. And I thought, um, the fact that he's kind of been out on loan already without catching the world alight and then mm. came off the bench against away at Man United and, and, and did well in his little cameo was quite interesting. I was, I was trying to have a bit of a dig around on Twitter to see if any Aldershot fans last night had commented on how he'd done there because he made only a couple of starts in the time he was there and was hooked in both of those games, which, you know, winger can obviously happen, but I couldn't really get in, a, in a, any particular insight into how well he's done there. But yeah, I thought, uh, you know, we have... This probably sounds a little bit harsh, but I'm going to say it regardless. Probably have fairly low expectations for homegrown players at Watford because we just know they're not going to get a chance these days. You know, the the way the club moves and the, the, the speed of change around Vicarage Road with management and so on means that it's it's, it's difficult for these guys to get, an, you know, probably be known to the first team head coach, let alone get an opportunity. But, you know, based on last night, he took his. And I, I think the best thing for him would be to go on loan. But I wonder if we might 
just see him hang around for a couple of weeks and, and be involved in the match day squad while we're, we're um, so short on numbers, evidently. Well, I think that's it, Tom. I think the reality of under 23 teams, and I think for Watford too, is you have you know a few, a few different groups of players. You have those that are there to be you know called upon if you have injuries and you need someone to travel with the squad. You also have the the younger the 19 18 19 year olds that are coming in they're playing a slightly older age they're you know a little bit more advanced than the under 18 you kind of want to give them a little bit of a taste of more advanced football um then you also have the guys that are kind of there just to make up the numbers just to just to be there as a as an opportunity for your first teamers that are coming back from injury to play and fill them fixtures and you know a lot of them players aren't viewed as being anything long term for us I think generally if you do really value a player in that assist in that setup you, you send them out on loan to, to give them experience so it's a strange one but it's definitely one that has to be you have to you have to consider that when we've we've talked about previously as fans, you know, could could this player make the step up and, and could he help us out throughout the season? I think you really have to kind of temper your expectations a little bit. So to see him come on and put in a positive display is good, really good for him, and hopefully it gets him uh, the opportunity to play a little bit more football. Absolutely. So that's a few positives there from the game against United. Uh, we'll look at some negatives now because you always have to look at the other side of the coin. Obviously, the first biggest negative is the fact that Watford are out of the FA Cup. And at this early stage, it's, it's not good. Watford like to have a, you know, a bit of a run in the Cup. And obviously, they, they reached the final a couple of seasons ago. Well, we won't talk about that game in particular. But uh, the, the Cup can be a great opportunity for, for well, young players in, in particular to, to maybe feature a little bit. And, uh, and also for the club to get a bit more... Finances through the door. I mean, it's not a lot in the grand scheme of things, but um, particularly in a COVID hit season, it, every bit of uh, change you can get through is helpful and, and that's not going to come now. So, Tom, how disappointing is it that Watford won't be continuing in the FA oh, well, Cup this season? A good, impassioned argument that you've made. I actually disagree with all of that. Basically, I think this season is a blessing in disguise. The, the, the focus is promotion and nothing else. And anything that potentially distracts from that is is a bad thing. The The prize money has been half, give or take, hasn't it? Um, so, it, you know, that's not even the draw that it potentially was. I just think with the COVID, with the injuries that we had regardless, and I think we were missing, I count, I totted it up about 11 players one way or another that you consider first team squad members, be that long-termers like Isaac Success, who's been out for ages. Um, Troy Deeney, they, I think they mentioned in commentary, he's got a little injury. Um, you know, other got guys like Glenn Murray, who are, hasn't been out for ages, but he's a senior player. You know, we were down to the, the almost the bare bones, almost the bare bones yesterday. So I think realistically, we were never going to win it. We need to focus our energies elsewhere and that will allow us to do that. Yeah. Jordan, do you agree? A blessing in disguise? Yeah, it is in some ways. I mean, it kind of it's disappointing to say you want it to be more of a competition you want to be part of. But I think if you're being pragmatic, you know, again, it's it's not really our, our priority. So, yeah, I think I think Tom is right. Um, I don't think we can really afford to be in any more fixtures as it is, especially if the squad is going to be a little thinner. Um, transfers are obviously difficult to, to to get through right now, and if we're not going to be able to bring in the depth to to really be able to fill out them fixtures, and it's not worth it to us because ultimately the main goal is trying to trying to go towards them playoff spots and hoping to get promotion so yeah I think it is right also one more thing we're talking about positives I wanted to touch on I thought um, Francisco Sirialta had a really good game yesterday I think he's been really good since yes, he's come he since he's come in um, yeah I thought he was really dominant so I just wanted to touch on that he's one of the listening. only players that's um, started every game on, under Zisco and uh, he's kind of had a bit of a, a rejuvenation particularly since uh, he featured against 
Huddersfield and, and he didn't look that great, did he? He was falling about all over the place and, and we thought, oh, maybe that was his opportunity gone. But he's had this chance under Cisco and uh, he's really taken it with both hands. Yeah, I was a little bit worried. And like, when we first signed him, I went and watched some of his some of his previous games. I was a little bit concerned. He looked quite stiff, quite stiff, kind of not comfortable in, in, in open space, sort of a little bit uncomfortable in those situations sort of centre back so I was a bit concerned that he was going to come in and maybe not quite be able to to deal with um, with some of the pace in the championship and uh, actually he's, he's been very good and he's been pretty dominant in his box and he's been very good in the challenge and he's, he's won his duels and he, he just looks to be quite um, quite assured and he's been comfortable on the ball I just yeah I think I maybe just misjudged him a little bit I remember in particular there was a press conference and there was a journalist from his home country who uh, who was sort of like trying to have a go at Ivic for not playing him because uh, he's because he was he was very in the belief that uh, you know he was a he was a great player and that he didn't understand why uh, why he wasn't featuring and and at the time I was like well I mean you know we've got a lot of good centre backs he's going to have to wait his turn but mate you know I think he had a point because he, he's come in and he's he's you know he hasn't really put a foot wrong in those in these last three games and he's he's looked very assured. No, I think what I will say on him actually is if in regards to early on in the season, I do think some of my fears of him might have been more apparent in the back three because he would have been in that kind of outside centre-back position where he has got to do a little bit more of that that work in the space. But I think in the back four, when he's kind of got that, that help with the full-back on his side, I think he looks like a much more much more assured, composed defender. And I think he's, he's done a really good job so far. So it's hard to kind of, it's hard to see anyone kind of getting back into that team if he can keep that form up for now. Tom, have you been impressed by him? I have, and do you know what? I I knew nothing of him when when he signed. I tried to you know have a little bit of a dig into it, but he hasn't hadn't played heaps last season. <laughs> Classic Watford side, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that you know he didn't play at all basically under Rivich, apart from the Carabao Cup games. I thought we, you know, I'm assuming he's kind of the 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 fifth choice centre back. You know, when we're we're trying to play a back three, so it's it's kind of funny that it's actually got to the point where we're now playing two centre-halves rather than three, and he's, his chances finally come, albeit with a, uh, a plethora of injuries. But he's, he's looked really good, hasn't he? For you know, someone who is relatively young in the scheme of things, he can't, you know, can't be a bad player, I suppose, if he, he played for Chile and, and what have you. But he's aggressive, I think, in, in, but in a controlled kind of manner. You know, he's, he's not afraid of getting his body in front of the ball. and um, He's looked quite good, and he's looked, he's looked fairly, fairly reasonable in, in possession as well. It doesn't seem to be too weak in that sense either so I've, I must admit he's kind of come from nowhere and he's, he's caught me on the hop but I've been uh, I've been pressed with him and I don't think it's a, a foregone conclusion that Cabasele or, or Cathcart should walk straight back into the starting 11 when, when fit again certainly not Cabasele no, is that aggression actually that I was a little bit concerned with early on? Because he, yeah, quite often he got he when I watched his previous games, he would, he would be aggressive and, and and go into that into that striker, and he'd often overcommit and get turned, and you know it cost his team a bit. So that was something that I was I was definitely concerned about. But he looks a bit more, um, he as you say, he's aggressive, but he's more more measured in how he how he's done it. So mm. yeah, I think he's. he's He's been pretty comfortable. I think the main concern we really have is really the haircut. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds me a little bit of Sebastian Prodo and, and how he had his hair at one stage. This is a bit more extreme though. This to me, it's the it's it's the flopping. It's when it gets a little bit loose in the in the tie and it starts flopping around. You can't be having that. I don't know. No, no. Someone needs it to someone needs to get to him that. You think it's mean? Yeah, I don't know. I think it, yeah. I think it undermines him a little bit. <laughs> 
Well, okay, maybe uh, you know he, he needs to go to the barbers. But um, I mean, the the problem he's got, of course, is it's lockdown. That's that's probably what it is. He's probably he's probably not been able to go to the barbers, and so he's just had to. Put up a he's bit. getting he's managed to get the size done, hasn't he? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Um, well, let's uh, go back to the negatives. Um, and one of the ones that I picked up on was that uh, Mark Navarro, who was starting mm. for the first time in a little while, he didn't really do enough for me to suggest that he should be starting at least on, on a regular basis. But what, what did you guys see? What did, how did you view Mark Navarro's game? I thought it was difficult for him. I mean... <laughs> I think the whole team, first, I think the whole team started quite slowly. So I have a little bit of sympathy for him as an individual. I don't think it was just him in that opening spare of the game that struggled to keep up with the pace of uh, United. But him in particular, obviously, he was up against James and he looked like he was on skates at the, in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it was it was difficult for him. He, he didn't move well and he, he was getting out, he was getting a little bit quite out of position. But I, I did think he grew, he grew into the game. Um, I think he started to start to improve as, as time went on. And I, I thought we saw the best of him in four areas I thought he had some decent crosses I think his delivery is actually pretty good um, so I think it was kind of a bit of a mixed performance from him I think defensively we, we didn't see the best of him but as I said going forwards we saw a little bit more um, of course he, he took a quite a bad free kick at one point which is a shame um, but he's actually it's interesting because he's, he's he seems to be highly regarded when it comes to free kicks I've actually seen a couple of videos from training where he's scoring them at quite a decent quite a decent range and he, he looks actually quite competent we haven't really seen it from uh from an actual in-game perspective then we haven't actually seen him play that much so i, I feel like it's still we're still kind of learning a little bit about mark navarro and i think it was a good opportunity for um for Munoz to see to see what he's about and, and get an idea of what he could do for us yeah perhaps i was being a little bit harsh there by putting it into the negatives but no um, I, I don't know what you're saying the first 10 15 minutes he was all over the place like he genuinely looked like he could fall over at any second like he just looked he looked like James just he just didn't really have the measure of him and he, he's it's difficult because he's he's a tall he's a tall right back and there's nothing wrong with being tall but it makes it very difficult to to, to operate in those in those wide areas when you've got someone like James who's able to turn quite quickly and be direct and that change of pace it, often when you have them taller players they even if they have the overall pace they don't have that initial burst and acceleration I think that was hurting him um, so yeah it's not it's not wrong to to say that he was one of the negatives because early on he, he could have cost us a couple goals as it happens go on then Tom talk us through that uh, dreadful free kick right at the end then oh god <laughs> I must admit I didn't know that uh, he got some kind of uh, pedigree repertoire but yeah pedigree that's a better word um, or maybe not based on that evidence but yeah what the hell was that he got I just couldn't understand why someone else wasn't wasn't taken. Was there really not a better option on the on the pitch at that time? Perhaps there wasn't. And then to just you know to do that was just criminal, wasn't it? I think I think the commentator set it up very well, didn't he? He was like, right, okay, this is Watford's uh, last moment. Um, you know, yeah, he's exactly. on the ball. He's going to try and put one in, and then he struck it straight into the first man in front of him. And he said, yeah, I said something like, uh, I can't believe he's just done that. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, I can't believe he's still here, to be honest. And that's not a criticism of of him per se he's just had such a punctuated odd Watford career hasn't he because he signed um 18 19 season I think I'm right saying 
you know, made one Premier League start, I think possibly away to Arsenal fairly early on. Yeah, it was. And then yeah. basically wasn't, yeah, basically wasn't seen again. I just pulled it up on soccer way, 84 minutes in the Premier League in that season. Spent last year on loan at Leganes, barely played, all right, season mucked around by COVID. And then this season, he's only made another 33, uh, played another 33 minutes in the Championship all off the bench. Um, I, I suspect we probably kept him around because he's, you know, he is fairly young at 25, fairly versatile. And they were probably anticipating losing uh, Kiko Femenia in the summer, which would have meant it was kind of him and uh, Jeremy Ngakia battling out for right back. If we assume that the plan had always been to get rid of Daryl Yanmat, suddenly four right backs becomes two. And, and he's probably adequate enough to, to be the backup option there. But as Jordan said, going forward, I thought he was quite good. You know, he, you know, I looked at the average positions and he was certainly much higher up the field than Adam Messina for most of the game. And, and, and that was, you know, kind of reflects what I saw a couple of, of one good ball, maybe another into the penalty area to create a chance. And, I suspect he probably wasn't helped, and we haven't talked about this yet, by the, the kind of openness of the, the system and the amount of space there was at times for United to attack into. And they just, you know, they kept directing everything down that left-hand side with Alex Tellez and, uh, and Daniel James, didn't they? And Ishmael Asar in the early yeah. stages was probably every bit as culpable as, as Navarro was because he just wasn't giving him any help at all, was he? Navarro's just very obvious to look at and see the issues because of the fact that he looked physically uncomfortable on the pitch at times. I think that's that's the thing he's easy to point. He stands out um, when you see him like contrasting next to next to James and it just you can really point that out early on to say there's an issue there but it wasn't just him um, I do think he's a decent player I think he's not really had that opportunity to have a settled position he's been moved around quite a bit and he's played in different systems I think there was maybe an idea that he was he was decent cover for us this season he can he can play centre-back especially if it's one of them outside centre-back roles I think that could be quite a good yeah. fit for him uh, when we were you know kind of going ahead of the season planning to be playing that three at the back um, you can fill in that right right back and you know he's got some versatility there he's a decent age as you say Tom and he's, he's probably not on a, on a much of a much of a wage really in comparison to some of the players that we have so I think he's definitely one worth sticking around and I don't think I don't think he'll be a starter for us very often this season but who, who knows if, if he gets the opportunity I think if there's going to be anyone that gives him the opportunity it could be Munash with the, the Spanish connection there he might have some comfort and be able to get his ideas across a little bit quicker but obviously you've got Kiko in there so it, it, it could just be a good squad player for us but but ultimately, that's all we really need from him at this point. Okay, that's uh, Navarro done. Uh, moving on then, and uh, I wanted to touch on the strike partnership of, of Pedro and Gray. Uh, for me, it didn't really work. I don't think it really, well, it didn't really seem existent uh, at, at times. I can't really remember too many opportunities that, that Gray had. Pedro seemed to have uh, a few more, but sort of half chances, headers from, you know, quite far away from the goal that we're never really going to test the, the goalkeeper Henderson. Talk me a little bit through those two. Uh, Tom, starting with you, uh, how did you feel they got, feel they got on against Man United? Interesting that you were um, not too enamoured with them. I thought, all things considered, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that they've not played together yet, or certainly not as a two. I thought they were... They weren't too bad. It probably wasn't maybe a partnership per se, but in their individual performances, I thought it probably one of Israel Pedro's best Games for us so far, I thought he looked, you know, he looked really quite dangerous at times. The chances he had were not great, but that's probably indicative of the fact it was, you know, Premier League team away. Um, you know, there was there was one nice moment towards the end, I think, where he sort of made a little bit of space for himself and probably shouldn't have shot. But the, just the, you know, making the space and, and, and having the confidence to get the shot off, I thought was, um, oh no, it was about half 
just at the start of the second half, got away from Van der Beek and, and shot over. I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was quite quite positive. When he ran at Man United, he looked like he was going to cause them problems. He was probably, along with, with Saar, the, the player, and, and Zinkenagel probably as well, the player at the, the heart of most good things from Watford. And I actually thought we've, we've panned him previously and I don't, you know, I don't suddenly think there's going to be a change of view here that Andre Gray had probably not a bad game either and I don't know if that's because the bar is so low but there were two or three times where he you know used his body well um and 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 was able to lay the ball off or win a free kick and as I say I don't know if it's because our expectations are now so low that we're I'm applauding him for doing the very basics of being a centre forward but um I, I didn't think it was one of his worst games there was still one opportunity where he had a bit of space and managed to miscontrol the ball horribly and, and surrender the opportunity for us. But so maybe not as a pairing uh, impressive, but individually, I thought they had they both had reasonable games. Yeah. Okay, interesting, Jordan. Um, yeah, I, I mean, as as Tom touched on there, they definitely weren't a pairing. Um, there was no there was no play between them. I think well, there was one pass between. I think Andre Grass, Andre Gray played uh, the ball to Pedro once in that game, so there wasn't yeah. there was no connection between them in terms of build up. Um, and I think they played. They played like that. I think they played pretty separate from each other. I think any any of the good aspects of their game are quite isolated from the other. Um, but I, I think Pedro does a good job of dropping in a little bit deeper and, and coming to collect that ball, especially if you're playing in a four four two. You want one of your strikers to be able to do that. And I think that's something that maybe we didn't see enough of when Dini and Gray were playing together. Like while while Dini does come shorter and, and occupy that space. He doesn't, doesn't really drop into midfield, take the ball, and then has the ability to carry it. That's often the problem with Troy. If he, if he gets the ball with his back to goal and he's a little bit deeper, if he can play it first time through, or if he can if he can play it off to on rushing midfielders, and then, then that's good. But it doesn't quite give you the same flexibility and and, and variation of, of avenues of attack as having someone like Pedro that can drop in, get the ball, turn, and then drive it at the opposition. You kind of get a little bit more momentum, and I think it just just seeing a little bit of a different a way of approaching that 4-4-2 um, as for Gray himself I think uh, we didn't see him have a bad performance but I think generally the bad performances are often either it's his his technical ability can let him down or it's missed chances specific missed chances in the game and he didn't really have those chances to miss um, so I think maybe he kind of went a little bit under the radar in that sense of quite a quiet game um, but while it wasn't bad I don't think it was particularly good either um, we didn't really see too much so I'm not going to criticise him too much for this game because it was a difficult one for him but I'm still definitely not comfortable in, in, in the fact that he's going to be a regular starting striker for us I don't think that's really the direction we should be going personally okay uh, last one uh, that I wanted to point then in the in the negatives was that uh, we didn't get to see Ori Nigalo, which uh, which I thought was a shame because <laughs> I, I thought it would have been nice for the Watford fans to to sort of see him play against him, almost like a, the, the completing of the circle in in, in many ways. But um, he didn't he didn't feature. Um, there was a lot built up around him though uh, in the press about him potentially coming on, but it didn't appear. Obviously, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't didn't decide that was going to be the way that he wanted to go but uh, was you looking forward to seeing him at all Tom? Yeah I was kind of hoping he was going to play to be honest even though I thought it was inevitable he'd nick one against us particularly as he, he must owe Watford personally several goals at Old Trafford from that um, the first <laughs> Premier League season under Kike where God almighty if I've, I've never seen a greedier individual display than that game I think 
Um, and I'm sure Troy Deeney would, would feel equally frustrated, or felt at the time equally frustrated, not that I'm bitter about it all these years later. Um, I must admit, I, it was a strong United team the United played. I thought the likes of Igalo and Jesse Lingard, Phil Jones, guys that have you know, really been out on the fringes were going to play. Um, so, I, yeah, he was, I was someone I was fully expecting to see, uh, particularly as his loan must be up very shortly as well. And with Cavani in form and, and uh, Mason Greenwood as well, his op- opportunities to play seem pretty limited. So a little bit of a shame, but uh, I can live without it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think it would have been would have been nice to see him come on, but yeah, it's inevitable that he would have scored against us and just compounded the misery. I think so. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll, I'll. Yeah, it's disappointing, but I can live with it. Question I did actually want to ask you though, Matt, going towards your expertise here. What was your opinion of the uh, of the commentary for last night? Oh yeah, um, BT Sport. Um... Darren Fletcher and Glenn Hoddle. Y- yes, Glenn. Oh, oh okay. Glenn, Glenn Hoddle annoyed me so much. What Glenn oh, Hoddle tends, what Glenn Hoddle tends to do, uh, and and look, he's not a commentator; he's a summarizer, and it's a completely different role. But um, Glenn Hoddle will repeat whatever the commentator has just said, um, almost verbatim, and it's extremely annoying because I want the summarizer to bring something different to the game. Uh, also, too, the, the, the comments, I mean, I know we've had this discussion probably before and I know lots of people on Twitter have discussed the same thing across various teams, but the basic summary of us as a, as a squad and as a team is just so dull. And reading off a list of managers every single time on, on TV, is just, it just, it's just so bland. It's, uh, it's tough to listen to, honestly. Yeah, it's like they've got a book that uh, was written about Watford uh, a couple of years ago and they just keep reading out. Someone oh, else, please yeah. say something else about us. Come on, what, what else are we doing this season? We're doing more things. Mention, mention the managers, mention Troy Deeney, mention Graham Taylor, maybe Luther and, and John Barnes, uh, if there's relevance. I think they got a mention yesterday, didn't they, for the, the, the game against United in, under GT and, and, you're, and you're done, basically, aren't you? The, the thing that irritated me was the the constant harking back to Troy Deeney as if, you know, all the research had been done around him. And, and the, uh, <laughs> he'd have loved them set pieces was, though, Tom. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. he'd have loved them set pieces. <laughs> and as I treated it, Tom was like, I, I, you know, I've not got a great memory for these things. I must admit that I, when I was a kid, I could remember every goal we scored virtually in the season. I can't do that these days. I've got arguably better things going on in my life, but I can't remember the last time we, he was the beneficiary from a set piece. I can remember plenty of, you know, headers from centre halves or whatever from set, from set pieces or, or whatever it may be. But I can't remember Troy Deeney being the beneficiary of many set pieces in uh, in recent times. Mike Waters of the Mirror tweeted me and said he got one against Villa last season. Um, so fair play to Mike; he's got a far better memory for this than I have, evidently. But I just don't think we're desperately a threatening team from set pieces, and certainly not from our centre forwards. So um, I, I took no. of that. I just think it's frustrating. I mean, I think I think there's definitely a, a role for the commentary team to play in the match. I think it, it can add a night. It can it be a real plus to the to the actual experience of the game when it's a good commentary team. I think uh, I think that's probably one of the benefits of Hive Live, even though there can be some some debate as, as to some of the some of the analysis going on from from. John, well, not so much no, Tommy Mooney, maybe. Um, I, I think for the most part, you feel that more of a connection with the with the commentary, and you kind of feel they've got their finger on the pulse a little bit more when it comes to the team. And obviously, they're going to have that because they are doing it from Watford perspective. But I think there's definitely something to be said for working out how to improve that because it was re- it, again, it was really poor last night, and I've done a pretty good job of avoiding punditry 
around the games but the commentary last night just stuck out as just again another dire example it's just just grinds on you it's just hard to listen to mm, yes uh, i think it's all about research um the, the more research you do the better you can be on the day um and i know this from personal experience uh chatting to fans of the of the team that you're least familiar with so if you're covering one team a lot chat to the away opposition and 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 find out uh you know how the team is playing and um you will be far better in a position to to deliver something that people are going to enjoy and and you have to remember that it's not about you it's not about um you know your your insights it's about trying to give something for the the, the people more now than ever who who can't even attend the game uh some interesting information whilst also trying to bring to life the game particularly if it's it's if it's a dull one as well so you know i think that they uh, they probably could have done a better job and and also i think that um summarizing is a real skill it's certainly an art there's an art to it you can't just find anybody who used to play the game and just stick them in there and no. say right go um because it doesn't work you need to practice that as well and and i feel sometimes summarizers come in um and and they just uh start you know chatting absolute rubbish um uh, and, and it's almost like it's uh, it's devaluing the um, the opinion that people had of them as a as a player or as a manager because you're thinking to yourself this guy's supposed to know something about this game and and all he's yeah. doing is is chatting at absolute. It's a problem. It's a problem as a whole across every aspect of the game, where former players get an instant in to positions they're not really qualified mm. for. And I think I think there's also a level of complacency that comes with um, that sort of position too. That once you're once you're in the position that you're commenting on them, commentating on them games, you're probably pretty comfortable in your job, and there's no real threat of it being taken away. So I think the standard just starts to drop over time as well. It just yeah, it's frustrating, but. Um, it definitely does lower the experience, especially at a time where everyone has to watch from home. I think it just becomes it just becomes more frustrating because we you're more we have to experience it more regularly than we did previously. So I think the other thing to say is as well, people have got more access to information themselves these days. So we're not reliant and this is maybe less of a point for summarizers than the main commentator, but people have access to you know, sites like FREF and Statsbomb, what have you, they have access to Scout if they want to pay for it. You can watch games from all the kind of major European leagues and some minor ones if you want to, you know, search around for them. You just have to look at Watford, which is, you know, perhaps not a massive community on Twitter, but there are so many accounts that, um, you know, and, and Jordan is one of these with, without blowing smoke up his backside, but he's one of these that, you know, through his own uh, endeavours, when we sign a player or, or link to a player, goes out and looks into it and does the research. So there's there's absolutely no excuse for the people um, that, you know, are paid to do this day in, day out as their jobs to not be more informed, maybe not to the, the level that, as say, someone like Jordan is and uh, there's others out there, the likes of, Luorns and so on that obviously do a lot of digging into serious, various things. It's just you know do more than the bare minimum, basically, guys. That's what I do. I do sympathise. I do sympathise to an extent that they're they're asked to cover. Same with pundits too. They're asked to cover a lot of things. They're asked to have opinions on a lot of different things. But it does still surprise. I mean. You can literally hear them reading from their sheet as they're talking about. Oh, you know, they 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 don't concede. They don't concede many. They don't score many either. They're literally looking at a goal scored goals. You know, goals goals for goals against sheet and and summarising us us as a team. And 
you do wonder though is there not is there not like an intern that's working there that provides you know gives them some information that kind of a little bit you know a little bit off the beaten track of our managers etc is there not someone some other way you can look at things and when it comes to punditry it does I mean there are some good ones out there and as you say on Twitter there's a plenty and you've got guys like not a top 20 when it comes to EFL and they've kind of had a little bit of success kind of getting into that Sky Sports realm but I think the next step is really getting those sorts of people that are actually in the, in the position of someone you know someone like Matt or, or these sort of younger guys that are kind of trying to take on that that old man's game and it's difficult because it's very hard to push out those established uh, those established guys in there but I think it's definitely needed because it's I think it's lowering the quality of the experience as a whole and it's definitely compounded when everyone's match day experience is from home yeah I also think that we need to um to to, to diversify a bit more and and uh, they're trying to do that they're trying to get more um more you know more female personalities um, and people from uh, BME uh, backgrounds into into the, the different regions of commentary and, and things like that. I don't think that it should be done at the expense of um, being actually good, though. You should be both that and also have some talent. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely, they should. They should. They really need to try and work hard on on uh, on diversifying that as well. So yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. Just just be better at your job, guys. Yeah, that's all we want. Um, okay, so uh, let's move on to Huddersfield. Then they're coming up next, a side that uh, has already beaten Watford and, 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 in fact, ended up being Ivich's last game in charge. Do you think we'll see uh, a very different Watford to the one that played the Terriers a month ago? I hope so. Um, yeah, I hope we see something different. I, I think it'll be, it'd be interesting to see. It's kind of the first real game that I think we've... I think I've, I've definitely sympathised with, with Shishko's start. I think it's a pretty tough start, obviously. Norwich Swansea United is not is not the easiest. And I don't think we've really had the opportunity to see what he's about, but he also hasn't had the time to maybe instill that into the team yet. So it'd be interesting to see. I'm feeling, I'm feeling kind of positive, but I don't know. I, I think it's just a lot to learn. I think this would be a good, a good measuring stick for where we actually are at this point and kind of give us a better indication of where we might be going to. I think we've got the opportunity to try a few different things in this game. How about yourself, Tom? Yeah, we've got a few games now, haven't we? Which, uh, well, I think we must be virtually at halfway. We're, we're 22, aren't we? So we've got a few teams now that we've played recently and not had great performances against Huddersfield being one Barnsley obviously we lost um, away to them Stoke we were kind of fortunate at home Coventry yep. we were kind of fortunate at home QPR miserable away Blimey, there's a lot of bad performances in that succession <laughs> apparently um, but no it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game because we were both on the pod post that match and it was an interesting one in so much as we, we had a lot more opportunities in them they just weren't they weren't great chances were they and against Huddersfield who have got quite a leaky defence they're, they're third for goals conceded per 90 and they've got the, the worst non-penalty XG uh, on target conceded uh, scoreline in other words stat. in other <laughs> yeah in other words they concede the most goals per 90 which aren't penalties and are on target efforts. So, you know, th- th- there's, they're there to be got at, is what I'm trying to say. However, we know what they're, they're like. They, you know, Carlos Corbran evidently preaching a style of keeping uh, keeping possession. So we, we might very well have to be patient and, and have fewer opportunities, and, but take them when they come. And I think that's been our problem all season. So it's going to be interesting, you know, how much we have changed since then. I suspect, although there have been changes on the surface what is it a month or so is a very uh short amount of time isn't it to be working 
with this team, especially with the number of games we've had. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting barometer. And in terms of personnel, just to round off this incredibly long answer, I think, you know, we very well might name a similar 11 based on availability. It's, that's going to govern everything because apart from um, bringing Foster in and maybe Ken Semmer, you know, that probably was a first choice 11 at the minute, wasn't it? Yeah, you might see, you maybe may see Cleverly in there, perhaps, or yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. what's the damage to Chalabar? I, I do think it'll be interesting. I think um, I think as you're touching on their time when it comes to the, their weaknesses, and you know, it's it's evident. But I think the problem is ours have clearly been converting our chances, and and that's an issue that we've mm. been facing honestly for a, a number of years. Um, we we underperform our XG considerably. Um, I think we had the worst differential in XG scores, XG sorry, and uh, goals scored. I think we minus ten pretty much, which is maybe the third worst in the league. Last time I checked, uh, perhaps fourth worst in the league. But what my point is is that we do struggle to score them chances, and if we create the opportunities. They're not always the clearest, but over the course of a game, we create enough opportunities to be to be winning games. We're just not simply taking them chances. I think something we can look at. Javi Gracia and he did very well was just realising that was an issue for us and he compensated by making sure that we were aggressive and we created a lot of chances and we were pretty pretty fortunate that we we that we managed to managed to finish the chances we had uh, under him perhaps at times but I think for the most part he was he was very good at getting us into the situation where we were going to be creating chances and we scored enough goals and it was it was something that sounds very simplistic and it is and obviously there's a, there's a risk reward to it and in the end it, he suffered for it but I think what we have to be looking at as a club right now and where we are currently as as the season goes on is that we have to find a way to start finishing and start start actually producing something in them forward areas and whether that means being more aggressive and, and being a little bit more positive and try and make more chances to do so and compensate for that lack of ability in, in the finishing department then it's something that needs to be done I think this is probably the first game we've really had the opportunity just to open up a little bit something I did mention actually on Twitter which I was kind of hoping for was I, I would quite like to see um, Zinkenegel start on the right for I think that's, as we talked about earlier, I think that offers us probably the, the best out of him. But also, I wouldn't be opposed at this point to to giving the um, the Sar Pedro uh, front two and not a go again. What, what do you guys think about that? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be a lot worse than uh, than what we've seen up front from any, no. any of the partnerships, I mean, really. It was hit and miss, wasn't it? Like there were there were times yeah. where it really didn't seem to work, and they weren't connecting great at, at times for for most of it, actually. But I, I just think with what we currently have with Pericia being out, I think it does give you a little bit more. I think maybe we we, we wouldn't have considered it so much previously had we not had Zinkenegel there, of course. But now we're playing the front two and Zinkenegel's in. It to me, it seems definitely worth trying I know you're kind of you're putting all of your wingers on the pitch at once which is maybe a bit of a risk but I think at this stage of the season we've got to be trying to as I, as I try to touch on there previously we've got to be trying to work in our, working out ways that we are creating more clear-cut chances and a better quantity of them uh, if we aren't going to be as efficient in front of the goal I do think having those two up front while it might not be perfect I much prefer that um, with, with having that zinc and eggle aspects on the right with his delivery I think it gives us a much better chance than sticking to the more traditional where we've been, we've been going down with Andre Gray and Dini and, mm. and in the last game Pedro and, and Gray yeah I think one of the biggest questions for Zisco will be how do I get both Singanego and Saar on the pitch playing the best they can when they both play the best in the same position 
but when you've got someone who's as good as Saar can be on his day and who we believe is is a very good player in, in Zinkenagel, you need to kind of find a solution to that problem, don't you? Yeah, definitely. Okay, then, um, a quick update on transfers before we end this podcast. Uh, ben Whiteman, it is believed, is going to Preston, I think, or at least that's the direction mm-hmm. he's heading in. Jordan, do you have any more updates for us? Yeah, I think that's the latest. I think it looks like he's Preston bound. It seems like he wants to stay in the area. And yeah, he's just not going to be one that... I think I think it was it did I did see it reported that we made some initial contact to kind of see what the situation was, but I think we were told pretty much the same thing that it's clear that he wants to stay up north, and and that's just going to be that with uh, Ben Whiteman, unfortunately. Is there anyone else that we've been linked with in sort of in the week since we last did the podcast? Probably the biggest thing that we've really had in the last week or so was uh, Dembele handing in his transfer request at. Peterborough but that seems to be one that's it's not really moved on too much from there and I know there's been Peterborough ownership have been talking quite publicly about how they just want him to get on with it but there's there's always an, an opportunity for a player to move especially once he has in that transfer request so that's someone that we could be looking at um, there's definitely we've been linked to him and he's a he's a player that gives us a little bit of a different different style of player in attack he's quite a small mobile agile forward he can play on the left wing he's played a lot of his time on the left wing but he can also play centrally I think he's a he's a good uh, good option for that front too um, just depends on on how likely it is for Peter Peter Bird to be willing to sell um, but as as we've seen I mean any any club in League 1 2 or even the Championship every player is going to have a price at some point this season just depends on how much we're willing to, to go in for with that one yeah it does feel like it's going to be a season where if we're going to bring anybody in, like we've already shown with, with Zinconagel, it's going to be, you know, people that we, we haven't heard of that are on a free or or maybe some loans from, I mean, elsewhere. Udinese is the one that you'd naturally go to, but I'm not sure if they could really, uh, you know, give us anybody that would really add to our team that they would be afford to lose, essentially. Well, and also someone that we can actually get in work permit-wise. I think really the only one that qualifies to get in easily is Wallace. So I don't think there's a ton of options, even from Udinese in this. We, I mean, we're going to be working hard to figure out what they can and actually can't do, but it's not as easy as it used to be. Um, but yeah, we still haven't had anything really concrete on that replacement for Etienne Capu, and there was talk from the Athletic that we were, we were willing to spend a fee on that position, but really not much been mentioned so far. Something else to mention that's uh, un- unfortunate for, for, for the youngster is, well, I say youngster, he's probably in his mid-twenties now, but Ignacio Pacetto is out for the season, so disappointing for him. He, he looked like yeah. he was doing quite well at Udinese, but um, not going to be able to feature for the rest of the season, I imagine. Yeah, I hate to see that. Terrible stuff. Okay then, well that's it for, for this week of the Watford podcast, uh, the Watford Buzz podcast, I should say. Um, my thanks to Tom and Jordan for joining me once again. You can find those guys on Twitter at Jordan Weimer and at TB Bedell. We'll be back in to chat about that Huddersfield fixture. So until then, enjoy your week. And from Tom, Jordan and myself, it's goodbye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 